This is What's Ahead, and I'm Steve Forbes. In a moment, you'll hear my conversation with Jack Ma, founder and former CEO of the e-commerce giant Alibaba. Ma and his company have done more to encourage small businesses in China than any other entity in China. Millions of small business people have thrived because of what Jack Ma did. In Singapore, we recently had our global CEO conference where he received the Malcolm S. Forbes Lifetime Achievement Award. He's stepping down from Alibaba and is opening a philanthropic foundation. During our conversation, he covers a number of topics that you'll be keenly interested in. But first, what's ahead? Well, there'll be more noise about impeachment, but the real bombshell's gonna come when Attorney General Barr in the weeks ahead finally releases his findings about what was behind the Russian collusion investigations. There are plenty of things happening overseas. In England, they're gonna have an election, December 12th, and here's where markets are worried. The leader of the Labour Opposition Party is a man named Jeremy Corbyn, an extreme leftist, hardcore. He's an anti-Semite, virently anti-American. Most of his Labour colleagues in Parliament want him out as leader, but because of the peculiarities of the Labour Party constitution, they can't remove him. Because of the turmoil electorally in Britain, this guy could end up being the next prime minister with profound and bad implications for Europe and for the United States. South of the border, plenty of worrying things are happening. In Chile, they canceled the APEC summit conference, which is gonna to bring together the US and China to sign a trade agreement. But Chile has the highest standard of living in Latin America. It is a developed country. It has moved forward impressively in the last 30 years. But recently, the country's been rocked by massive demonstrations and riots that have left at least 18 people dead. What's behind these riots? Well, people are upset about subway fares going up in the capital of Chile. But there's more behind it. One, Venezuela and Cuba are organizing violent demonstrations in Chile to undermine its democracy. And center and right-of-center forces in Chile have not been making the cases for free markets in recent years, leaving the battle of ideas to the far left. We'll see how democracy survives in Chile. Democracy returned in the 1980s after a 15-year military dictatorship. More in Latin America. Argentina just elected a far-left Peronist president because of that country's economic troubles. As his vice president, the new president picked the former president of Argentina, a woman named Kirshner, who when in power was very corrupt. Big trouble there. And on our own border, Mexico, a couple of weeks ago, there was a huge battle between the drug cartels and the Mexican army, and the drug cartel forces won. Is Mexico gonna become a narco state? Well, that's far, far off into the future and very pessimistic, but Look what's happening in Mexico with the rise of these drug cartels. This spells trouble for the United States. Over in the Middle East, Israel, political turmoil continues. The fellow who leads the opposition, a fellow named Benny Gantz, has now been tasked to form a government. He won't succeed. So the question becomes, will the current prime minister, Bibi Netanyahu, and this leader of the opposition create a unity government? There's precedent for this in Israel. 
where the two leaders agree to switch the office of prime minister. You could see Netanyahu agreeing to stay on for 18 months, and then Benny Gantz taking over after him. But if they don't reach an agreement, yet another election, the third in about a year. Here at home, next week, the big news will be the Non-Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Institute survey. That'll give us a hint as how the economy is doing. Third quarter numbers show the economy is slowing, largely because of a slack off in business investment. So keep your eyes on this number. Jack, uh, you've always said you don't look backwards, you look to the future. And uh, But before we get into the next chapter of your extraordinary life, I do want to touch a little bit on what Alibaba did over the last two decades. Forbes magazine was the first magazine to do a full cover story on you when you were just getting underway. At the time, you had about 150 on staff. Today, I think it's over 100,000 people are... Uh, working with Alibaba and its affiliates. And what you achieve there is not just a company's success, but you empowered literally millions of entrepreneurs in China and around the world, including the United States, enabling people to sell business to business, business to consumers, and enabling businesses to get the financing to succeed. What you've done with Alipay is phenomenal in terms of enabling people who couldn't get financial resources to expand. You did it in a way where they didn't have to go to the traditional banking system, which wouldn't have paid attention to them anyway, but you enabled them to get resources and uh, thrive. The data system that you built up enabled you to judge very quickly in a way that others could not. Who is creditworthy and who isn't creditworthy? If an individual is creditworthy or a small business is creditworthy, they would get the resources to be able to move ahead. In that sense, you are one of the greatest liberators in history, enabling people who wanted to do things, do commerce. You gave them the means to do it. So, for, first of all, I do have to uh, ask if it is true that you defeated Jet Lee and a martial arts contest. I just have to get that out of the way. It's impossible. <laughs> but only in the movies it is possible. <laughs> and it happened in a movie. Tell yeah. us about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, just, a, just a movie. And I tried to uh, make a movie for fun and show my respect to all the martial artists because I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot you know, in my life from martial arts. So I want to show my respect to those players. And uh, the movie was designed that uh, finally they win all of me. But I don't know for whatever reason when the movie finished, they edited that I win all of them, so. <laughs> that's, that's why uh, I think you uh, are now a publisher. Uh, you can then influence what they write about you. <laughs> Editing is very important. Thank you. But before we get to your new role as a full-time philanthropist, uh, just walk us quickly through your vision when you started Alibaba and what you've done with Alipay, I think uh, alone uh, should give you, you won't get it, but you should get uh, the Nobel Prize. Maybe we have to invent <laughs> a new prize. But uh, it was an extraordinary empowerment vehicle. Walk us quickly through your vision when you started Alibaba. 
Thank you. Thank you, Steve, so for my, my great honor to get uh, this honor. Well, when, when I started Alibaba 1999, um, I want to share some of the things. First, we believe in the future. And I believe the internet can empower a lot of people. It's not Jack Ma helped so many people. It's the entrepreneurships, the spirit of creating, the spirit of constructive advice and devise. And very, also very, very important is that we believe technology will help people for a better future. So we try to be creative. We try to solve problems. When people complain, we don't complain. We think about complaining of the other people is always a great opportunity. If we can solve the complaining, and then we have the solutions, then we have the future. So we do Alibaba because we believe in there are so many small businesses don't know when and how, where they can sell the products. So we help them to promote their products. We have the payment because no banks at that time love to help small business and they don't know how to help a small business. We know if we don't have a payment, our e-commerce is just a talk on the line. It's just a chat online. So we have this payment. And then we find if we cannot help you to deliver efficiently and quickly, then there will be no way. So we build up the, the, uh, the logistic system. And then we find a lot of companies don't know have the technology, especially small business. They don't know how to use the internet. The, the internet service is too expensive for them. So we say, all right, let's build up the cloud computing. So every small business can using cloud computing, internet technology cheaply and efficiently. So it's all about solving problems. So I think this is what we did in the past 20 years. We always think about what we can do to solve the social problems instead of complaining. That's, that's the journey, and I'm having great fun. When you really help people, when you see millions of people change their lives because the efforts that we work together. And I, one of the other thing I want to do is say, I, I tell my 18 founders in my apartment, 1999, February 21, I said, if Jack and us 18 people, if we can be successful, 80% of the Chinese young people can be successful because we don't have money, we don't have rich father, powerful uncle, and we, we believe the future. If we work together, if we have a long vision, if we work day and night, we will make it. And that's 20 years. We never, we never forget about that and keep on working. And that's how we made it. Thank you. Well, just on uh, Alipay, you process more payments a day than MasterCard. I think so. I think we are probably, I don't know, but transaction-wise, we'll probably do more than Visa plus MasterCard. <laughs> and the thing I feel proud, yeah. the thing I feel proud is not about the technology, it's not about the transactions, it's not about the money. It's about the credit system that we're building up, that we can help more people, more small business. And the other thing is, most of the traditional financial system, they go from top to the bottom. Rich people first, and then poor people. But the Alipay, we grow from poor people. Rich people don't trust it. They think, ah, I don't use a mobile phone to pay. Poor people, 
they try it, they love it, they benefit from it. So this is like a very, very inclusive. We feel that the financial system for 21st century should be inclusive, should empower people. We don't call ourselves FinTech. We call ourselves TechFing. Difference between FinTech and TechFing. FinTech is to empower financial institutions, make them more powerful, but TechFing is to empower every individual. Every people have the rights to reach the money they need. Not every financial system, they want to invest or give the money to the people they think they are good. So this is what we are empowering people, empowering small business, young people and women. That's all we, we feel proud about. You make a very good point about properly done machines liberate people because they don't let personal opinions or prejudices or ignorance get in the way of a decision. Describe your three-one system of lending where in a matter of minutes, somebody can get a loan, even a tiny loan, yeah. and within a second. Describe yeah. that. <clears throat> well, what Alipay, the technology makes happen is that um, I feel proud that is uh, every day we have uh, I don't know, $50 billion transactions, and we have been for uh, almost 16 years, since the first day to now, we don't have even one cent mistake. We have got, for Alibaba Group, we got over 300 million hacking attacks per day, every day. But we do it, we deal it, we don't have even one problem. It's not because how smart people are, it's how smart technology are. My philosophy, my believing early days, we do not call it artificial intelligence, AI. We call it AI, Alibaba intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> when you <clears throat> love somebody or like somebody, you, may have, don't, you don't have reasons. But when you hate somebody, there's a reasons. When you want to do bad things to the other people, there's a logic. When you have logic, machine can do better. We teach machine how to catch the bad guys. Because no matter how smart you are, if you think about the 10 ways of cheating, you are already a genius. So we teach machine all the way people cheating. Machine remembers over millions of ways of cheating. So when you start the cheating, machine knows you are cheating. So in this way, we are protecting the all the technology, but also we collect all the data of people behaving. I, I, I told Steve that give my data to machine, I trust machine more than trust the people. I give my data to people, I don't, I worry about that. People say, ah, this is Jack Ma I want to know about. Machine don't care your Jack Ma or Jack Lee. Machine cares whether you do good things or bad things. So we using the machine technology and called 310, so powerful. We give loans to over 30 million small business loans past two years. And you can borrow money for one minute. Just to, I just want to borrow money for one minute. Banks want you borrow the money for one year, two years. We say, well, not necessarily everybody want to borrow one year or two years. You can borrow one minute, you can borrow one dollar. 
That scared all the banks. But the worst is that we're giving 310. We're giving you, if you apply within three minutes, we will tell you whether we'll give you loan or not. How much money we'll give. One second, the money will be account. Zero people touch. All machines do that. And this is make our system so efficient. And this is called 310 and solving millions of small business loans problem. One of the things that you've uh, said is that being an entrepreneur, you say you don't try to persuade successful people or companies because they already think they know what they're doing. Walk yeah. us through that. Yeah, the most difficult thing in this war is to convincing a successful people to listen to you. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I never tried to convince the successful people. I tried to convince those people who want to be successful. One of the reasons why Alibaba succeed when, they when we compete with eBay, eBay, they think they have a successful model in America. So they do their thing. For, for me, I think it's impossible to convince those people who are 30, 35 years old at the time because they they think they're successful. And we start to do, start to convincing those people who are 18 years old to 20 years old, those people who, who are not successful, they want to try. They don't care about $10, $5, they want to try. So to convincing those people who want to be successful, you work with them, grow up with them, develop with them, suffer together with them, it's, it's fair. And also I think uh, very, very important is that Trust the young people. I trust more young. I trust young people more than trust senior people, successful people, <laughs> because there is no expert. There is no expert of the future. There is only expert of yesterday. We are entering into the century in the world that is so new. Working with the young people, you're talking about the future. Working with most of the successful people, they only talk about yesterday. And when talking to those people always talk about yesterday, you don't have the future. That's what we think. Now, stepping down from Alibaba, <clears throat> you've said you want the company, which is now about 20 years old, to go on for 102 years. You explain you started in 1999, which was one century. We're now in the 21st century. 102 years would get you into the 21st century. You would span three centuries, a good thing. We at Forbes like 102, because we're 102 years old this year, wow. although we only spend two centuries, so we, we've got another 100 to go or so. <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things you uh, felt calm about in terms of uh, stepping down is you believe you've established a culture, a system at Alibaba that can s survive you. Walk us through your thinking on that and your insights and how does a company create a culture that is uh, constantly renewing itself instead of becoming stagnant? Yeah, this is uh, really, really important. <clears throat> I think most of companies get easily get old, but never get long, get successful. So I've been watching when I started my business and it was tough, tough five years, one of my venture capitalists, he had a talk with me. He said, Jack, 
I don't think you are qualified as CEO. It means that you should leave and change another CEO. And I say, yes, I will, but not today, because the company was in trouble. One day I will leave. Since that day, I start thinking about who is the right person that can do better than I am. That was the day I start thinking. When Alibaba 10 anniversary, that day I start to think I should prepare for my retirement. I think at that day I decided my 20 year anniversary, year 2019, September 10th, will be the day I leave. Because if I really believe in 102 years, that's the mission, that's the vision we have, you have to take action. You have to put it, you, you say it, you do it. So in past 10 years, we try to build up a system, a system that, build, that have the right leaderships. You should never have a copy of Jack Ma. One Jack Ma is too much for the company, <laughs> for the future, because this guy is crazy. I mean, think about this and that. We need a system that can create, can make, and can discover, can train a lot of leaders. So we have our partnership, Alibaba partnership. Our partnership is different from the partnership of legal firms and, and invest banking. We design our partnership. How we did that? I went to one of the famous American companies. Today, they're almost gone. I joined their board meeting. It was very interesting, all very important to people. And when they ask a question, are you going to make a decision on that? They all come back and ask their lawyer, what do you think? The lawyer <laughs> said, hmm. So everyone said, okay, we'll we will discuss. So nobody make decision. And I know someday Alibaba will be that. And how can I avoid that? So I built up a partnership system, which is built up that system. I learned the independence, the creation of American of America. We learned the parliament system earlier, the Roman system. We spent like a year discussing, debating, build up the system that, that the system can build up the leadership. The system up the leaders can, can fight for the vision, mission, and value of the company. And the system that can come up with the leaders, the leaders is not you appoint, the leaders that really encourage and inspire them to come up. So we built up the partner system, and I have so confidence today that we, Alibaba today, not only have Daniel, Eric, we have a lot of leaders. And we also built up the, we strengthen our value, mission, and vision. Alibaba to survive today is not for money. Money is important. Money, money is the resources to keep the company's mission, vision, and value. And very important is to making sure the company can always keep the mission helping doing business easier, to empower every small business and individual. So that's the whole thing. Been past the 10 years, I speak every minute, every year, every month, training people, and now I think we are ready. I will not say it's perfect, but Jack Ma will get old. Jack Ma will get stupid. Jack Ma will get sick, a car accident, or whatever reasons. But the company should never depend on Jack Ma. Companies should depend on a system for leadership, a culture, people. And that is what we believe. And this is what we learn from those great companies in America, those great companies in Japan. It's the culture, it's the people, it's the system that keep the company last 102 years. It's not only one person, now we think.
Now, all companies say, we believe in people, that's the key to success. Making it a reality is quite something else. Alibaba, among other things, is a high-tech company, obviously. Yet you're different from other companies, especially in high-tech, in the number of women you have, not just in your workforce, but in your top management. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's the secret source of Alibaba's success, that we have 34% of the senior leadership of Alibaba are women. We almost had 47% of the employees are women, and because we buy quite a lot of companies with more men than women, so now we're going down, but we'll go up again. <coughs> I think women's, it's very difficult to convince women your vision and mission and value. Very difficult. Men, easy. But when you successfully convince women the vision, vision, they stick to it. They're loyal to it. Women, easy go. Men, easy come, easy go. <laughs> so that's the balance. <clears throat> it's not easy for the company in the past 20 years was such like a, like a it's a, it's a terrible period of our company, but all those women stay, fight for the things they believe in. And also, I believe computers are very cold, but the people behind the computers should warm, kind-hearted, careful people. Women do better jobs. Women care others much more than men. Even today, more than 60% of the shoppers on Alibaba, they're women, but they buy things for their husband, for their parents, for their kids. Men only buy for themselves. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so, I think Alibaba, you know, men, when they're under pressure, they talk about profit, they talk about competition. Women talk about Let's sit and talk. Let's stick to our mission. Let's stick to our value. I'm very thankful. Because they always said there is, if there are successful men, there is a, lot of, there is a successful women, powerful women. I have a lot of powerful women standing behind me. And I'm always <laughs> thankful for them. And I'm believing in 21st century, if we have more women leaders, the world will be much more peaceful. <laughs> now... Now, another thing you uh, have observed, you, you have a lot of smart people, but you say there's a difference between smart and wise. Tell us about that. Yeah. The difference between smart people know what they want and wise people know what they don't want. So I have a lot of smart people. It's difficult to deal with smart people. <laughs> Very difficult. It's easy to deal with stupid people. You know, they follow, they go to the toilet, they go to restaurant together. But smart people, it's all different. But what we need, a company is not, is not a farm. My company is a zoo. We have all kinds of animals. People talk, people never talk, people work hard, people never work. I mean, this is, this is amazing ecosystem of the company. That makes the company very, very powerful and colorful. I feel happy that. And a leader is not the proof you are smarter than the others. A leader's job is to making sure everybody giving their smart ideas out. You listen to them, and sometimes 
you make a stupid decision because you have to balance. You have to believe in the future. It's not smart people win. It's the wise people win, and for the future. So, this is what I believe. We need more wise people. A leader's smart machine will be always smarter than you are. A machine can never be wiser. Smart people using brain, wise people using heart. Machine don't have heart. Machine only have chips. So this is what I think. Human beings should always learn to be wise, to say no, to know what you don't want. That's that's my view. Now you've pointed out that you've had turnover in your company, and it's usually because of smart people, not wise people. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I'm so proud that we have so many smart people in this company, and also so proud in the past 20 years we make these smart people. Learn how to be a human, how to care. Most smart people want to win, and we want to make smart people learn how to live like a human, how to care others, how to do things for the others. And when they learn that, when smart people learn how to care others, how to care future, how to be a human, then the company become warm. Smooth and soft power. Otherwise, you have a group of gangsters. Wow.、Um, before we before we get to、uh, philanthropy, we just want to should emphasize again: you've probably done more to nurture private enterprise in the private sector in China and indeed aiding it in other countries than just about any other entity in the world. Because of what you've done, payment system, enabling people to buy easily with each other in America, you go use your services even if you're very small. <clears throat> you don't have a legal department. You could use you and、uh, be trading with China and other parts of the world. Amazing. Well, this then gets to your next phase, your next 55 years, and you're focusing on education. And one of the points you make. Is that the system we have today, sitting in a classroom, passively receiving wisdom? You say that is industrial age education, and it must change. Walk us through your vision, what you hope to do in the education field. Okay. Yeah, I've been asking myself. <clears throat> people like me failed again, again examinations. I failed my exams for good primary school. I failed exams. In the middle, key middle schools, and I failed three times for entering universities. I tried for jobs for over thirty, all rejected. People look at the diploma. What? Where are you from? You know, they look at charge you by the diploma. People like me today, if I try to apply job in Alibaba, it's almost impossible. <laughs> they think, hey, you know, we have got a group of people from Harvard, a group of people from、uh, you know Stanford, and you are from nowhere. And I was thinking about people like I found a lot of entrepreneurs like me. I have two great young people, 
I, one of them was the early founders of Alipay. One of, the other was early founders of Taobao. And they want to go to the MBA. I don't like the MBA, most of the MBAs. I don't like it. And Taobao was the, uh, your commerce. Yeah. Yes. Internet companies. Yeah, internet companies. So they want to join the MBA school. So I called my MBA school. So yeah, please, you know, I've got two people recommend because they wanted me to recommend. I said, these two guys go. So they go, they took a test, both failed. They turn back. And I say, what? And then they, I call the president and say, you know, what's wrong? He said, you know, these guys cannot even pass the exams for math. They are not good at uh, taking exams. I say, sir, if they are good at taking exams, they will never be entrepreneurs. <laughs> right? Most of entrepreneurs, because they're schooly bad, become a business people. <laughs> so I was thinking about the, uh, the way they today, most of the things in, we teach our kids, the way we teach our kids uh, in the past 200 years, for industry, for industrial period, in industrial revolution, you have to remember faster, you have to remember more, you have to calculate faster. These are things machine can do much better than you are. Artificial intelligence come, you lose your job. You don't have a chance to win. So that is something I worry about. 20, 30 years later, our kids will never be able to survive because of the education we teach the kids. And the other thing is I don't like most of government put too much resources on PhD, master, and instead of putting a lot of resources on the primary school, kindergarten, high schools. If we move there more, you will not have a problem like America. There are great universities, but just five kilometers away, from the universities, there are a lot of poor people. If you give more resources to the front, the world will be much better. If you give more resources to the end, you got elite people and poor people. It's got always going to be trouble. So I think a lot of things we should do to change the education system, to improving the, the content, what we should teach our kids. It's too late for us, but it's never too late to change the way. We should teach our kids to be human, so independent thinking, when hundreds of tens of oceans of information come, people don't know how to make a judgment. We teach our kids independent thinking. We teach our kids to survive in the digital period. We teach our kids to help be to innovative, constructive, and creative so they can survive in the AI period. That is, I think, I want to do more things about that. <clears throat> and it is important. It is important. There are a lot of problems, but there are solutions. A lot of complaints, that's the opportunity. We have to do it. Well, this gets to something uh, George Gilder, a technologist, said decades ago. He said the microchip should do to the human brain what machines did for human muscle. Human muscle will never match a bulldozer or anything like that. It's a tool. Yeah. The chip is a tool. Uh, do you have some ideas on how we can educate differently because we don't all learn the same way? Um, you make a very good point about <clears throat> the industrial way of education. We've always thought it's always been taught, you sit in a classroom, you receive the wisdom. Actually, the modern system began in Prussia, which later became part of Germany 200 years ago, and the system was designed 
to take children and turn them into good soldiers and good bureaucrats following orders. And that became the predominant system in the world. Talk us about how you see maybe, when you look at the Greeks, when you look at the, the philosophers, they didn't sit in classrooms. You see that they are walking yeah. when they're having those dialogues and discussion. Do you have some ideas on how you uh, going to change the old paradigm of industrial? Yeah. I think that's, I, I'm, you know, I just retired. I think next year, I have already tested. I built up, I built up a kindergarten already. I built up a primary school, a middle school. And I also been working with the uh, teachers in the rural areas for five years. So I got our ideas, but still I need another year to think it through, to visit more countries, more schools, more teachers. But I think one thing for sure, you never learn wisdom from classroom. Wisdom, you only learn from life and tough life. Philosophy, because you lose so much time, then you become philosopher. <laughs> In the classroom, you only learn the knowledge, but life is about experience. And the other thing, very important, I think, the society today, the world, you know, the internet, it's, it's, it's more about classroom. Young kids, the way they get the knowledge is so different from the way us. And I think, if I want to teach people more, I said, not necessarily math is important, physics is important. If you are interested in that, that's very important. But music is important. Physics, teamwork is important. Painting is important. Dancing is important. Because when you sing, when you dance, those people sing, dance, painting with the heart. They are the artist. They are the people. They don't use brain, they use heart. So I want people, when you have know the music, you know how to solve the problems when you face. Because music, you go to, you, you connect to the soul, connect to the heaven. When you have a painting, you have the imagination. When you have dancing, you know the rhythm. So these are the things. And we should learn, teach people a lot of things that, that the human, the human knowledge. So I think I want people to do more things on that. And also the sports. One of the things that are very, in, in the first five years, Steve, in my company, I always giving the case studies of failure companies to every of my people. Today, the thing I want to share more with the young entrepreneurs is how many mistakes we made, how many companies bankrupted, why they bankrupted. I never teach like MBA, teach people how they succeed, how that one success. When, you, when young people learn that too much, they think they can easily succeed. Going to business is like going to battlefield. Only those people survive win and you know how to avoid stupid action. So when you learn the mistakes, the, the, the failure cases, not to avoid mistakes, but when you know, when you meet these mistakes, you know how to face it, how to solve it, how to challenge it. So it's all about, this is called wisdom. This is what we should teach our kids. 
Now, next month, you're going to be uh, visiting Africa, where you're going to be personally giving out the first Alibaba Netpreneur Award. Can you tell us a little bit more about this and how you think this approach may do more for Africa than all the uh, top-down programs of the past and enabling that continent to realize its full potential? Yeah, I think uh, entrepreneurs are the most important element to promote, to develop a society. And I think entrepreneurships are the very constructive points and elements of the society. In Africa, I think we need a three E's. E-government, make the government transparent. Entrepreneurs, make them the heroes. Education, make the people know what they want and what they don't want. And as entrepreneur in Africa, I, I, I went to Af Africa four years ago. Before I went there, I, know so, I think I know a lot about Africa. When I arrived there, I was surprised. I know so little about Africa. And I promised myself, in 10 years, I will visit every country in Africa. So I visit five countries, at least every trip to Africa in the past four years. And, and I think what I can do is to empower the young people, young entrepreneurs. I went to Kenya and met some of the young entrepreneurs. They are so smart. They are so good, much smarter than Jack Ma in 1999. They all have mobile phones. And the thing is, the entrepreneurs in Africa are so different from entrepreneurs in most of the other countries. Most en entrepreneurs in the other countries, they always want to do entrepreneur, they want to go IPO. These people, they want to change Africa. They want to change their lives. And when I was starting my business, nobody helped us. Very few people. Today, I think I have the capability. I have the money. I have the resources. And I want to go there, empower the entrepreneurs. If we can be able to discover and help more Jack Ma's, more Bill Gates, more Warren Buffett, more Steve. Africa will be different. That's what I think is my great honor to be there and do something. May not be successful, but at least we try. But that's what I want to go. And and one of the things that would uh, help Africa is the women who do a lot of the work there, but legally, culturally, some are not even, some countries won't even allow you to open a bank account. If you're a woman, own land. We will make them an Alipay account. <laughs> <clears throat> this, is, this is what we did. And uh, in India, the PM, Prime Minister said, Jack, we have so many people in India don't have the um, bank account. How can we help? We do by payment. The Paytm, we invest it, we give the technology. So many people have the mobile payment. In Africa, if we want to open a bank account, uh, impossible using traditional ways. The other thing is women. This time, we, I'm going to give Jack Ma Foundation is going to give 10 awards to 10 entrepreneurs. We say at least the three of them have to be women. Women leaders. We got so many great young women entrepreneurs in Africa. And we want to make entrepreneurs in, it, in Africa heroes. 
and they are the heroes. We have to make them heroes. In putting your foundation together, did, have you looked at other foundations to try to find models or what you can learn from them, like the old Rockefeller Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? What, how, how, how are you approaching the Jack Ma Foundation, creating it? Yeah, I, I uh, the past five years, one of the key things that I'm doing for prepare for my retirement it's not only focusing on developing my people, it's developing my hobbies, my passions after retirement. If I don't have hobbies, if I don't have my retirement after, you know, after the next chapter plan, I think when I get bored, I will go to squeeze Daniel and his team. <laughs> so when I have more funds, don't, don't, don't push me, keep on going, right? So I'm prepared for the one that is I study a lot of foundation. Rockefellers, amazing. Bill Gates, you know, he's, I supported him, he supported me. We, had a, we just had a talk just last week about the climate changing and uh, his uh, health, you know, projects in Africa. I'm telling him my uh, entrepreneur project. I'm telling about the uh, education project. So we communicate a lot. And this is what I want to do. I remember almost 10 years ago, uh, Bill and Warren Buffett came to China and said, Jack, you know, can we pledge, give the money out to, to the society, to the other people, to the foundation? And I said, no, 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 no. First, China, I don't think it's a good idea. China in 1950s, we give all the business people give money to the government. And we, the economy go, going down. Today, as entrepreneurs know, that's not your money. If you have one million money, that one million dollars, that's your money. If you have 20 million dollars, you have a problem about inflation, investor stocks, or buy land. We have one billion dollars, that's not your money. That's the society's trust. They believe you can spend the money better than the others. You have to spend the money in a smarter, better ways. So I told Bill and Warren Buffett, I want to use the money to create more jobs. I want to use this money to do the things that is more philanthropic than just giving the money. By the way, I ask a bill. I ask Warren. Now, Warren, you give money to Bill, and Bill start to operate the foundation for you. Who should I give money to in China? Red Cross? Who should I give? I realized China, there's no such a system for philanthropy foundation. And my, one of my visions, Jack Ma Foundation, should learn and build up a system because I believe China one day, lots, hundreds of thousands of business people will build up their own charity or philanthropy foundation. So you're, they in need, effect, you're creating a philanthropic structure. Uh, I structure. need giving them the instruct, the mistakes I made how that I can share. So you, American, Europe, a lot of countries have such a long history of building a foundation. China, just the beginning. So we need a system. We need a way. And I will be the guy to test that and share with them. This is also one of the missions for my foundation. 
In the first issue of Forbes magazine 102 years ago, my grandfather said, the purpose of business is to produce happiness, not to pile up money. And you seem to exemplify that. How do you see the role of the corporation, the business today? Yeah, uh, my, I've been seeing again, again, this is not I said today, I said in the almost uh, 18, 20 years. In my company, value number one, Custom first, employee second, shareholder, shareholder third. And this is, I talk to every shareholder. I remember when I IPO'd in New York Stock Exchange, I made a speech to all the shareholders who want to buy our stocks. I said, my believing is customer one because if the customer happy, employee happy, shareholder will be happy. So shareholder number three, one of the shareholders, if I know that, I will never buy your stocks. I say, please sell all the stocks. <laughs> I tell you, this is truth. Because I think if our customer not happy, how can they give us the money? If our employees not happy, how can they be creative and constructive? If the customer employee not happy, how can the shareholder be happy? You'll be cheated. And also, I said, don't believe in the long-term shareholder. There's no long-term shareholders. There's no. They just to tell you I will be a long term holder. When problems come, they run faster than you are. <laughs> <laughs> there is only two kinds of people stay with you all your life, your colleagues. If you serve your customer better, well, they will follow you all the time, or you follow them all the time. Shareholder, they don't follow. They cannot follow. If they follow you all your time, they're not good shareholders. That's what I think. Most of them, but not all of them, of course. Well, with that, uh, Jack Ma, thank you very much. And I think you've exemplified why you won this award. Thank you. Thank you. And now, my reads of the week. The first one, an article in commentary called Against the Anti-Market Consensus. Right and left are converging on misreading capitalism. This is a must-read article by Noah Rothman. You can find it on commentarymagazine.com. He points out that both liberals and conservatives are against capitalism these days, misunderstanding what the system is, what it has achieved, and what it takes to enable it to move forward. Another article we alluded earlier to the problems in Mexico. This article is How the Sinaloa drug cartel clobbered the Mexican army. This is written by Ted Galen Carpenter at theamericanconservative.com. That's theamericanconservative.com. This battle has ominous implications for Mexico and the U.S. If Mexico descends into chaos as the drug cartels get control of more and more Mexican territory. Thanks for listening to What's Ahead. I'm Steve Forbes, looking forward to next week. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this show, we at Forbes sure would appreciate it.